Welcome to the Alpha Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard, and I'm here to talk with as many authors as I can. So thank you for being here. Take the time. Enjoy the show. Reach out to the authors through the website, authorblurb.com, and learn more about them and feel free to reach out to them. The Author Blurb, where readers and authors connect. So this is Author Blurb again. This time I'm speaking with Brian P. Clary, who I personally asked to come on just because I've read his book, Harry Scary Ordinary, which if you follow the Amazon count, there's 107 of his books. So this is just one of those that my son's had me read. I've actually lost maybe 107 times at this point. Brian, I appreciate you being on. I really want to hear more about your history, about your books, and get to know more about it because I have a feeling I'm going to end up having a larger collection of your books before the end of this year. That's good to hear. Can you help me out and tell everyone about yourself so they can get to know you and what so have you? Yes. I get asked a lot if I'm related to Beverly Cleary because Beverly Cleary was a prolific children's author for a million years. Uh, I am not, at least as far as I know. Um, My name is Brian P. as in Patrick Cleary, and um, I started writing books uh, in the early to mid-1990s, and uh, the first books I wrote were pun-oriented books, and they were humorous, and they rhymed, and they were punny, and they sold very slowly. Um, they, I, the first four books I sold were part of a deal that, like, one contract, and I um, I was sure that that was going to be the thing that put me on the map, and it wasn't. <laughs> um, uh, I I came up one day I came up with a title for uh, a series now I to give you some background I work in the creative division at American greetings okay I, mm-hmm. I work in I'm the only person in the whole company with the title um, that is uh, senior editor creative content uh, no right. sorry senior editor digital content okay I'm now that I'm in the digital division so if you've got um, you know, a famous person singing a song. It's likely that I wrote part of it or some of it or all of it. And those are in the e-card world. Okay. But right. way back when, in the early nineties, I had been working. And so I've been working there for 41 years. Um, in the mid nineties, um, I was looking at a lot of the sort of devices that we use in greeting card land. Like if you ever look at, um, uh, you know, the greeting cards in Iraq, it might say, Um, it's, you know, on Father's Day, it might have a card that says like, what is a dad or what is a father or graduation is like, you know, what is education or what are questions, right? So it's a provocative. So I looked at that and I thought, that's kind of interesting. You know, um, I wasn't much of a student and I didn't love school a whole lot, which is (laughs) ironic because now I've been in 500 schools across 42 states, um, putting on workshops of all kinds for teachers and kids. But I came up with this phrase, um, a mink, a fink, a skating rink. What is a noun? And then hairy, scary, ordinary. What is an adjective? Just I just came up with the titles. And I I think email must have been relatively new to me at the time. I, I want to say it was 1995 or six when I sent an email to my editor and said, what do you think of this? And I just had those three titles. Right. And I had a contract in 60 minutes, probably, you know, to oh, do nice. those three to do those three books. So I knew that I was going to give funny, interesting, rhyming, bouncy in, you know, examples that are very illustratable, right? 
They're very friendly right. to being drawn, you know. And uh, those books sold really well. Um, uh, so of the three million books I, I've sold, a great many of those are in this Words Are Categorical series. So, which is, you know, something like 20 deep or so by now. Right. Um, so I... Uh, I went from the puns to parts of speech. When I did the parts of speech one, I started getting asked a lot to visit schools. And I got to see, you know, all sorts of places I never would have seen otherwise. I have been in Jewish schools, Amish schools, Catholic schools, public schools. I've been in schools that were surrounded by three different sides uh, by cow pasture and uh, just a, a road in front of it, you know. Uh, I've been in one-room schoolhouses, which still exist, believe it or not, uh, where everybody is being taught at the same time. There's, you know, three third graders, a sixth grader, and an eighth grader, and they're being taught by one person all at once. And uh, I've so I've gotten to experience, um, you know, rural life, city life, um, just a lot of interesting things as a result of that. They there's military schools in Europe that I've uh, and I've spent time, I uh, spent a, a few days at one of those. It's a Department of Defense school in Wiesbaden, Germany. And it's fascinating. Here you are in the middle of Germany and everybody in the school speaks English. All the children are American. <laughs> All their mothers or fathers, one or the other or both, was in the military. And you, you were basically in America in this little spot here. And so you walked outside. Um, right. So I've gotten to see a lot of interesting things, and this has been sort of a ticket to, you know, be able to experience a lot of and and see the world a little bit. Um, Forty-two of the fifty states, um, you know, and on top of that, not only seeing, you know, just geographically all the differences, just seeing, you know, the way that people live. Um, you know, you get picked up at the airport sometimes by maybe the principal of the school. Um, maybe you get picked up at the airport by the head of the PTA. You know, or just a very tired mom, you know, who said, you know, if no one else will do it, I'll do it, you know, and you spend time with these people and you spend, you know, they they ask you what you want to eat and they take you to the airport and they pick you up at your hotel or take you to the rent-a-car place or whatever. So it's that part's been really interesting. I can imagine. I used to travel for work years and years ago. And mind you, it was always interesting to see how different the parts of the country could be at least I was stuck in America. I didn't go other than Canada. I didn't go over to Europe or anything like that, but yeah, I mean, just that could be very intriguing. And I know with your books, if I remember right, you have over six different series. The one that I'm very familiar is words are cat agories. Yeah. Words are categorical. Yes. And there's the hyphenated because they illustrated cats. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that there, I think, I think I mentioned, I have the adjective one, I have the adverbs in the noun books of yours. So, and if I'm remembering correctly, there's 27 there. Okay. Uh, you have math, which you have just a whole list of different categories, different areas of, your topics that you go into very curriculum based right and usually oh, yeah. the formula is give an example and then uh say what is a or you know what are synonyms or something like that you know that kind of thing so um the words are categorical series um spawned later uh 
the math is categorical and a couple of other things from there. And then there right. are some individual single titles and some things that were more series oriented. And and, right. uh, and later, much later, like starting with COVID, I was doing um, gift books that you could buy directly at Amazon, like a hundred things, you know, worse than divorce or a hundred things, you know, a um, hundred things you should have learned by the time you're 50, um, that okay. kind of thing. So those are, those are like, you go to Amazon and they're just gift book ideas. They basically are occasion driven um, little gift books. Yeah. All right. So that's the span of them really, you know, I've never written a novel or anything like that, you know? Right. Yeah. Oh, I understand. And, you mm. know, just even like I said, According to Amazon, it's 107 titles they have on Amazon for America. And that's not including, like you, we were saying before, you had it in languages translated in so many different languages that neither of us, I think, speak from what you said. Correct. Right. So right. what is it that actually, once you got going with those, I mean, you have it all, a lot of it's rhymy, a lot of it's it's kind of upbeat when you read it for a kid, when you write cards, you're, you're usually writing it for adults. Very few times I see it as for kids. What made you decide to actually focus on kids' books? Well, in 1993, four, five, somewhere in there, I would have had three children under the age of eight or nine. So just the world of children's publishing was more around me than it, than okay. it was before that or since then. Um, when I was a kid, Dr. Seuss was the biggest thing on the planet and everybody, everybody could name a favorite Dr. Seuss book, you know? Um, right. and, um, I've got, I'm one of nine children and my youngest siblings would have been exposed to the work of like Shel Silverstein. Now Shel Silverstein was a big deal songwriter when I was in fourth or fifth or sixth grade, but he was not a big deal like children's poet. But he became one just a handful of years later. So my brothers and sisters that were, you know, 10, 11, 12 years younger than me were exposed to like where the sidewalk ends and the giving tree and like the things like that, that I right. weren't a part of my childhood. Um, he wrote cover of the Rolling Stone and uh, a boy named Sue and the unicorn. So I was familiar with like the work of Shel Silverstein, but not right. like associating that book with this person necessarily. So. I've had several real like different looks at children's literature. Once as a child myself, um, you know, once just in a, in a large family, seeing how the tastes and sh have shifted over time, and then once when I became a parent myself. You know. All right. And what made you decide? Like like I said, you have math. You have like the the pieces of sentences or grammar focus for nouns, verbs, all this stuff. What really made you decide to go that route? Because most kids' books that I've seen are tend to be like, let's entertain them. Let's teach about like the tooth, how to catch the tooth fairy, or how to do this, or how to brush your teeth, kind of a genre. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, At some point, I probably made some kind of a conscious decision that my real audience was librarians and teachers and um, serious parents. Rather than, I mean, an eight-year-old is supposed to outgrow you pretty quickly, you know. Right. But a teacher, be teaching for thirty years, you know. Right. Um, so I wanted to give them a bigger bag of tricks, you know. I realized when I was pretty young, especially, you know, like I said, growing up in a big family, people just have different skills. There are people that are 
you can rely on to do certain kinds of things and some are more academic than others etc and i wasn't particularly academic but i was pretty creative and not everybody looks at the world that way and i learned at a pretty young age that my way of looking at it is not the way that maybe necessarily everybody does um i also know that teachers you know work really hard pretty stressed out and there's a lot of testing and there's a lot of um you know the standardized testing and things like that there's just a lot um that's pulling at them that maybe wasn't 30 or 40 years ago. And I think the mantle of teacher as being the most important, one of the most important people in town has eroded over time a little bit. It's not because they, that deserves to have happened. What I mean is, I think at one time, a teacher was the most educated person in town. Maybe there was a priest or a minister or a rabbi or you know a, a judge or a lawyer or whatever, but generally, in 1950, most people weren't college graduates, you know, right. I mean, and so and nearly all teachers are. And so I think that we have a over time, I think parents have given themselves more the mantle of uh, they see themselves on a, on a par with teachers or something like that. I think teaching is a very hard gig today. Um, I don't think it's for everybody. I think it's a calling um, and it's. It's hard. I wanted to give them a bigger bag of tricks, whether it was teaching poetry, which I've written a lot of poetry books, um, including basically kind of the how to's. I've done a lot of I would call them, you know, workshops in services, whatever for teachers, but also for students where I'm teaching them. They're going from never having heard a particular type of poem to having Mm -hmm. written one and discussed it in like 35 minutes. So, yeah. So. In going from town to town, school to school, I have had the good fortune of spending time with a lot of bright, dedicated teachers. And, you know, I have borrowed, stolen, adapted, whatever one you want to put it, um, right. some things that they've time tested, you know. And I had ideas that I was sure this is going to be fantastic. And you get it, you know, three days in a row, you put it out in front of 40, 50, 60 people and it doesn't fly. Maybe it's maybe it just doesn't have wings. You know, maybe that's maybe that's not going to go anywhere. Whereas I with five minutes to go before I was going to start something, I came up with an idea that I'll try this. And they loved it. So um, I've kept the things that worked and I've gotten rid of the things that don't work. You know, I understand. Yeah. Now, what do you tend to find? I guess I'm going to do the kind of a two part question here. First off, what do you tend to find that you enjoy talking about the most when you go out on these visits, school visits, or what's your favorite book category? Or And then what do you tend to find teachers and the kids enjoyed best? Um, I think that uh, depending on the grade, that, that'll, that'll change a little bit with the answer. But uh, I would say that I like to I show a picture of myself when I was around their age. So if I'm in front of a bunch of five-year-olds, there's a picture of me at age five, and I want them to understand that I didn't come into the world this age, you know, that <laughs> I was once their age. Right. And it's hard for us to understand. I mean, I remember being kind of freaked out when I saw a picture of my dad when he was like in sixth grade or something when I was a little kid, because to me, I mean, my folks, had just, they'd always been there, you know I mean? Right. And, you know, you see somebody like my age, immediately you feel like you don't have anything in common with them maybe if you're five or six or seven you know but if i show a picture even as dated as the picture looks as much as it clearly represents a certain specific time 
there is a sense that, you know, that's a littler person with that little haircut and those little teeth and that little tie. You know, I mean, like I was I try to give them a sense of a I used to be sitting on the floor just like that, you know. Right. And B, some of the influences that you have, you know, if you have a favorite uh, book um, uh, by Dr. Seuss, if you like to rhyme things, we have a lot. We have some things in common right there because Hop on Pop, um, Cat in the Hat, a couple of others, they were all written by the time I was five or six years old, you know. And so I, some of the very, even though I'm 57 years older than somebody in the audience, perhaps, um, some of the very first literature that they were exposed to is exactly the same exact words that I was. And mm-hmm. so I try to sort of marry that up a little bit so that when we do seem like we're going in different directions or I seem foreign to them in some ways, that we have a little basis for, you know, I remember Hop on Pop being read to me before I could read, you know, or whatever um, right. by by Dr. Seuss. Um, when I'm with kids, so I like to talk to them about my influences. And I always ask them, you know, what what's an influence? And somebody usually knows. And we... I. Uh, my influences are as wide as they could be the Beatles. They could be um, Mad Magazine. They could be E.E. Cummings, the poet. It could be um, Dr. Seuss, certainly. It's Ogden Nash, the poet. Um, There were no standardized tests when I was a kid other than the Iowa Basic. And so really, teachers could unpack a whole lesson in a different way than they can do that today. You know, I mean, if they were passionate about poetry, you could just be learning about something that most kids don't learn about till they're in college. And not everybody goes to college. So I like to expose them at a very young age to some things that um, to show them that, you know, interpretation of poetry, we're guessing just and that's what 19 year olds do when they're freshmen in college. And that's what we're going right. to do right now when you're in fifth grade. You know, we're going to guess what the poet meant when he said this, you know, um, and so they like to feel like they're decoding something. So when I show them the puns like Jamaica sandwich, or it looks a lot like reindeer or give me Bach, my Schubert, um, that they're kind of, they like to decode things, you know, like, what do you think the author really meant in regular English? I say, Oh, give me back my Schubert. Exactly. Exactly. So like, um, it's a secret language, you know, and there's, they feel, like they've got some secret password or something like that. And they're, they're doing something um, that is a little, it's not so babyish to them, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, they're not going to be tested on it, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so those are some things I've noticed over many, many years. I've been in many, I mean, I, uh, hundreds and hundreds of classrooms, but I think 500 schools over many years. Yeah. All right. And do you, I mean, I have to imagine at this point you really do enjoy being around the children, getting to expose them to these different elements like the ways to think outside the box and discuss like how to improve their English, their reading, their math, things like that. What what keeps you going with doing that? Well, you know, um, being, you know, from yourself, from being on the road, it can be tiring, right? You eat differently. Yes. Maybe you don't exercise as much as, as you would if you were at home. Um, you know, your habits change. Maybe a little hard to go to sleep in a hotel room. Maybe flying isn't your favorite thing. Whatever the thing is, you know, um, it can be, you know, road warriors are, are different kind of people. And I'm really not one. My, my father would be in the air two or three days a week 
in my childhood um, for for years and years and years. And he was one of those people that, you know, if people that and, and if you've ever met somebody in sales who's just like, oh, well, every Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, I'm in Columbus, um, you know, yep. calling on these customers or whatever. It's a hard it's a hard gig. It really is. It's a hard life um, on a very busy year. The busiest year I ever had for school visits, I think 35 school visits is what I did. But there are guys that do 120 in the course of a year. You know, so I'm really cut out more for that lower number. I, you know, I, if somebody said, you know, um, if you were to quit your full time job at American Greetings, would you want to do five or six visits a month? Five or six visits a month would be great. You know, right. um, it, you know, um, partly because I'm saying the same thing from school to school to school. And it can just wait it. To me, honestly, the kids don't wear on me. The noise doesn't wear on me. The teachers are are usually helpful and engaged. The people who show up and help you and take your lunch order and run over to Panera for you and stuff, everybody's great. But me saying the exact same words on Tuesday that I said on Monday and not even remembering if I – did we already do this thing where we did the personification and then paper <laughs> noun quilt? That could be tough. Now, on a year like last year, I only did like four – four school visits, you know, All right. and COVID cut into that a great deal. And we haven't really crawled out of it yet. Um, it seems like for many years that the number was about 16 or 17 or 18. Now remember that's in communion with a full-time job, you know? All right. So I, um, um, so if I have a full-time job and I'm doing that, um, that means that I'm using, because I've been at the company many, many years, American greetings. Um, I mean, I have 25 vacation days a year. Okay, I don't have summers off or anything like that. I don't right. have like two weeks at Christmas. I have like two <laughs> days at Christmas, you know. So I'm using vacation days. So what, where it was taxing was that as my kids got older, you know, I wanted to be able to say, well, we're going to take a week and do this, you know. And mm-hmm. I was essentially saying yes to a whole bunch of school visits. Um for a bunch of reasons, you know, I mean, I was building a second career, which most people can't do. And I was building right. something that is throwing off income, both in publishing and in speaking. And I liked the work I was doing at American Greetings. I liked the people I was doing it with. I liked the move that I made from paper cards to digital. Um, I have put words in the mouths of interesting people like Dolly Parton and Shaquille O'Neal and Michael Bolton and Megan Trainer and uh, oh, Christina Aguilera. And I've had so that's a, it's pretty interesting stuff for a writer, you right. know. And on the other hand, you know, you go to a school and there's a big sign outside that says it's Brian P. Cleary Day today. And you go inside and all of the doors are decorated with your books, you know, like they're literally made into like the book cover of your books is like all the doors to the school. Then they have a Brian P. Cleary assembly. Then the music teacher has done like a Brian P. Cleary song. So it's, there's not many jobs where people clap for you and give you money (laughs) and never ask you for your autograph. So it was a dance really between two very interesting ways to make a living, um, you know, as a writer and I knew I was going to be a writer at a very young age. I knew when I was 10, I was practicing my autograph when I was in fourth grade. And <laughs> I knew that there would, I remember reading that something like only 2.6% of manuscripts become books, mm-hmm. you know, 
And I remember thinking, I didn't know it was that big. 2.6. I'm, I'm definitely going to be one of them. And <laughs> I was. And right. I, I, you know, I say to people, you've done the hard part. You wrote a book. Send it around and do the easy part and collect rejections and live with I mean, just let somebody else decide whether it's good enough to be in a library. Because I've had people say to me, will you look at my book? And a couple of reasons why I don't want to is that one, every library in the country has several books in it that if you showed it to me first and said, what do you think, Brian? I said, oh, that's just not for me. You know, it's, it's well written. It just doesn't scratch where I itch, you know. Right. But here it is in the library. And you look on the back of it and it says Doubleday Publishing or Penguin or Putnam or what? Who am I? I mean, I'm not the gatekeeper of the world. And the second thing I'd say is that if you show me your manuscript and your manuscript is about a kid that gets divorced, his parents get divorced and uh, dad lives upstairs in the double house and mom lives downstairs and he goes back and forth. Well, that just means that's just one less thing I can write about because you've just told me what the plot of your book is. Right. And you've told me like the trope or the device of your book. And now, instead of a world in which everything in the world is possible for me to write about, everything is possible except that one thing you just told me. And I don't want to have that. I want to have it all be possible for me to write about. It's hard enough to write a book that gets published. Right. <laughs> you know, oh, I it's know. harder still if everybody I know is going to tell me the story that they have, because some you don't need to impress me. You need to press one editor at one publisher. And I'm not an editor and a publisher, <laughs> you know, I so I would want to be helpful with somebody and and put them in, tell them not to pay a lot of money for something or to, to get sucked into something where it's all vanity and it's all, you know, preying on your ego and that you have to do everything and you have to bother your friends and get them to sign up for whatever. I mean, I might advise against something like that, but shoot, there's all kinds of people that have had success in publishing that didn't have uh, any input from me at all, and they did just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. So yeah. let me let's ask let me ask this, and if I can. So like the because the category one sticks out, and I've looked at some of the other covers, like the math, and uh, there's if I let's see here, phonics, fun, and like I said, you have a whole bunch. So just trying to list them all off is. The, it's easier actually to go to Amazon and type in Brian P. Cleary than it is to remember even the names of ten titles. It, it, it just oh, is yeah. because they will neatly sort it for you. And and once in a while you'll get a book that I didn't write, but maybe they you know somebody who wrote a, a scholarly text for teachers or something like that listed me with a dozen other authors that are curriculum based or whatever. Yeah, but it'll still pretty neatly sort it for you. Exactly. But with all that, so a big part of that. I, notice and i didn't notice this until i started reading with my kid and the graphics the illustrations along with the words are a huge part of a kid's book yes how much involvement did you have with that did you choose the cats as the to make the category or was it they said hey let's put cats in here because kids love cats Hmm? what was it more of good question um and uh, as is by practice, a long answer to a short question. Um, so a wonderful illustrator named Jenya Prismitsky came up with the cats. And I had wanted to call the series Grammar's Cool, like almost sounds like grammar school. OK. Right. And like grammar apostrophe s cool. And they said, how about if we use these cats and it was words are categorical. 
And I liked it immediately. I mean, I liked it much better than than what I had come up with. And I think maybe I had a couple of the suggestions and it doesn't matter. Um, so Jenya was the one. She did the first three, um, at least the first three uh, books for me. I've had illustrators from Moldova, um, Montreal, uh, Toronto, uh, London, uh, places in the middle of Europe, a handful of Americans. So I've had many, many uh, illustrators from uh, all over. I think somebody's from South America. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure they are. Um, I so yeah, I've had a lot of different illustrators, um, and sometimes you are with an illustrator until maybe their schedule doesn't allow for it anymore. Like maybe they're going to say, "Hey, we're going to be doing eight books this year. Are you up for eight mm-hmm. books?" And they might say, "Well, I was up for the three that we did last year, but." eight in one year if i'm teaching or whatever else they're doing right it might it might not work for them and so i had a lot of um i've had at least three different illustrators do the cats over time you know okay um brian gable who was a terrific uh editorial cartoonist really uh i think he took those cats and and kind of muscled them up a little bit and made them into the ones that you see in perhaps 17, 18, 19 of the books, you know, and he did that. And then he just did it till he retired. He was the editorial cartoonist for, I think one of the biggest newspapers in Canada and just retired. And we sought somebody who was going to help us out with that. And Martin Gano took the wheel on a couple of the titles or a few of the titles and uh, very ter- a terrific, uh, illustrator named J.P. Sandy, Pat Sandy, uh, did, I want to say, seven, eight, nine books for me over time. Uh, so some of it, I have some say in it, and I was an important author to Learner. Now, if I had been with one of the two or three biggest publishers in the world, I probably would have had a little bit less say. Learner's a little smaller than that. They're a great outfit, um, and they've been around for 60 years or whatever. But, I mean, it's just a little more personal in the size of publisher that they were, that I could have a conversation. Now, if I said, I really want it to be so-and-so that's illustrating this, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of things. I mean, there, there's financial considerations. Maybe my so-and-so is going to charge three times what somebody else is. I, I, have, I have nothing to do with that. I don't pay illustrators, and, and right. the publisher does. So naturally, you would know that the publisher would be allowed to say, you know, here's our budget for that. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I... If they truly thought I was going to be unhappy with something or that they thought that the, maybe the book itself would suffer as a result of choosing this person instead of that person. Luckily, it was never an issue because we all wanted the same thing. You know, Learner wants a book that sells. I want a book that sells. The art mm-hmm. director wants a book that sells. My editorial director wants a book that sells. So, you know, th- that that's a way to keep us all happy. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So. Before I let you go, so I have some say in it, but I wouldn't say that I, I I would never say that, especially at my level, I was the final word on that. I just had I had say in it, which is good. It's good to be heard. Yeah. All right. Now, before asking. I let you go, I do have a question about what you think or what you would suggest people that are just discovering you. Where do you think people should get into, like, if they want, like, 
for example, I got into learning about you through the adjective books, Harry Scary Ordinary. Mm-hmm. And then obviously I'm starting to build up books from you now for my son to read and hopefully eventually my daughter. Mm-hmm. But And then we'll probably even buy some of the math books because his math is horrid. But, <laughs> like a true writer. <laughs> yeah. Well, trust me, I'm right there with him. And I, I can't. Him and I's handwriting, both as lefties, are just oh my disgusting. So, <laughs> but what do you think would be a good place for people to start with you to start getting into your books or getting into different areas to learn about you and go from there? So, if you Google Brian P. Cleary, that is Brian with an I, P is in Patrick Cleary, like Beverly Cleary, C L E A R Y, you know, there's a hundred thousand sites or something like that. But one of the very first ones will be my own site, www.brianpcleary.com. And I have biographical stuff. I have book stuff. I have lots of information. I have activities for people if they want to have um, that are curriculum based things. Um, You know, I would say, you know, for really little kids, I like the phonics books because I am a former teacher uh, of, uh, um, not quite okay. I'm a former senior literacy counselor, which means I taught three different people how to read from scratch. And so they went from being able to recognize some of the letters of the alphabet to being able to read in a handful of months. And I sort of used rhyme and repetition and illustration and some other basic things that you drill into. Um, uh, as a device for people to learn how to read and how to decode print. Um, so the phonics books that I have are, are a good start for somebody who's got really young kids. By the time a kid is five, six, seven, they might want something that explains the parts of speech in a way that, you know, like the noun book, the adjective book, the adverb book, et cetera. Right. Right. Um, but all along, Kids love poetry. They they don't necessarily love writing poetry, but they love the bouncy lingo. They love the playfulness of the language. And I've written a bunch of poetry books. And once you sort me in Amazon by Brian P. Cleary, you'll be able to find there's something called Poetry Adventures. And there's, you know, there's series like that that take specific types of poems. Like these are all limericks or these are all haikus and things like that. So they give you... There's more writing in those books for people who want that. If you want to be able, I mean, I've always thought that children's books were a great way to explain a concept that is um, somewhat complex. Like if you did not know how to play chess and you and your son wanted to start playing chess, you could get chess for dummies, which is an inch thick, you know, and read 180 pages. Or you could get something that is as thin as a People magazine at the library that is 32-page picture book that has 16 spreads with big photographs on it that explain what the pieces are, where they sit on the board, and what each of those things can do. You know, what are they allowed to do? Are they allowed to go forward or diagonal or backwards or whatever? And you're playing chess, not up and running at the master's level, but you're playing chess in 20 minutes as opposed to reading a hundred page book, you know? Right. So I've heard, and I'm surprised, but I've heard eighth graders say, I just went to the public library and got your adverb book and I know what an adverb is now. And they were able to see with 
interesting examples and repetition that this is an adverb and how you use it and everything like that, right? So, uh-huh. um, so the, it, I guess it depends on the person. It depends on where they are in their reading adventure and their learning adventure, right? Um, but probably the source of that, the way to start that would be just going to brianpcleary.com. All right, perfect. Yeah. And it's probably how you got a hold of me. Yeah, it really was. Is I yeah. searched, Google searched you, found your website. There you go. Kind of where I found out that you had multiple categories or different series and just more than I even thought was most people had. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So with that, I do appreciate you being here. Thanks I, so much. If everybody wants, they can go to your website, which you've listed off. There's also authorblurb.com where I have a profile for you set up, which is both linked into the show notes. So Brian, I appreciate it again for you coming. I really enjoyed talking with you. If you Thanks. can hold on for just a moment, I shall. we're going to end, we're going to end the conversation for everybody else, but you and I'll talk a little more. Sounds good. So thank you for making it this far. Remember you can go to authorblurb.com where there's plenty of stuff there for you to find. Enjoy another author Enjoy finding that book that you love. So take the time, do me a favor, share, subscribe, enjoy the show, and tell others. Thank you.